very much and watch the service online or watch the service from different parts of the country and uh, or the world in one or two cases. And it would be a uh, it would be a blessing to be able to provide better quality streaming and better quality sound and better quality everything. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that, let me know. Uh, we're going to pray real quick and we'll dive into our uh, our message today. Let's see if I can get back to where I'm supposed to be here. Let's bow our heads. What did I say that twice? Okay, I got a laugh out of it. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to, to be in your presence this morning. Help us to hear from you. Help us to know you. Help us to, to open our hearts to you. Lord God, I pray that uh, you would help me to be coherent. Uh, help me to be uh, just truthful and like, like faithful to the scriptures as I preach the word. I pray that you would help me to uh, just point people to Christ over and over again. Uh, this morning as we uh, as we work our way through the sermon. I pray that the folks who are here who uh, who hear me, I pray that they would hear from you, not from me. I pray that I would get out of the way. I pray that the stony parts of our hearts, the strongholds, the, the areas of struggle, uh, that they would that they would be torn down in the face of, of your Holy Spirit moving, in the face of your uh, your word being preached. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I, uh, in the last uh, few weeks, have had uh, a lot of conversations about people dying. Uh, And uh, I think the one that has really sat with me deepest and longest, and I found myself coming back to, um, like three weeks ago, I sat down with Frances, I did communion with her, I prayed with her, we talked about scripture, I read to her a little bit, and as we were visiting, as we were talking... Uh, she talked about being ready. You know, I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm ready to go be with Jesus. I'm ready to I'm ready to die now. Like, and it's a weird thing to say out loud because our culture, we separate ourselves from death, right? Like, like we don't want to be near it. We want that to be a thing that we don't see. We don't, you know, like, like the, the idea of associating or being close to uh, someone who has passed is, is weird to us. And, and like... You know, hearing her talk like that and being in her presence, she's talking about like that. You know, it it was it was jarring to me, but it was also powerful in another way. Um, I was listening to kind of the culmination of decades of Francis's faith playing out in the end of her journey. Like, I if you look at how this just beautiful, wonderful woman lived, uh, she cared about people. You know, she was a person who would reach out and, and you know, and touch base with folks who were struggling. She would, uh, you know, she did things for other folks out of, like, an expression of her faith, you know, that was alive and active and in motion. And it was really powerful. And, like, all of that, like, growth and application and trust kind of came to a, came to a full at the end. And, and she wasn't scared. She wasn't worried. She was joyful. She was in peace. She was hopeful. She was anxious. Um, and and I, we're going to touch on that briefly. I feel a little uncomfortable about talking about it at all because it's kind of somebody else's deal. But it was, it was humbling from where I sat. And I, I want to talk about faith this morning. Um, it's a very broad subject. But when I really dug into Mark this week, I thought I knew what I was going to do. And I started really digging in and trying to pry the meat off the bones of the text. 
and I said, wow, we need to just dig in and like we need to sit in this faith topic. And we need to talk about that kind of faith, that kind of faith that is, that is um, the kind of faith that God desires of us. And I think the kind of faith that we don't understand all the time. We want to put a pin in it. We want to hang it on a wall like a butterfly. You know, if you go down the hall, the science hall at the high school, they've got these butterflies that are mounted that are older than me. Right? I assume. I don't know. I have to ask Craig. I'm sure he was there when they put them up. Uh, So they're probably older than me. Um, But they've been there forever. And sometimes we take ideas like faith and we want to put a pin in them and stick them on the wall and look at them and like, like, you know, oh, well, what is faith? Well, you know, let's go back and look at what Martin Luther said, you know, because Luther had a lot of stuff to say about faith. He contributed dramatically to our understanding of faith. I want to look at what Augustine said, you know, well, you know, thousand plus years ago, he really nailed it, you know, but, but faith is something that needs to be alive and active and we have to wrestle with it. We have to grapple with it and it's got to be a part of our everyday life. It's got to direct and steer and fill and it, it's vital and beautiful and amazing and and we don't often think about it. Um, so we're going to dive into our text today. Uh, we're continuing to talk about Mark uh, 1 to 12. There'll be one more sermon on this. I did not mean to do this. Uh, I, but we're, like, I, I'm discovering that as I go through this, there's just a lot there. I always looked at Mark as the easy book. And as it turns out, like, I'm finding stuff I never expected to find, and it's very fun. And so y'all are going to be subject to my version of fun. Um, we were talking last week about the friends holding the rope for, for, uh, for the paralytic, you know, because they loved him. They carried him to Christ. They sought Christ's healing for him. They knew that, that he couldn't get there on their own. And we talked about this idea that sometimes we encounter people in our lives where they need folks to love them and carry them to Jesus. Um, in this instance, we're going to talk about holding on to the rope that God throws us. And it is terrifying. You know Why? Because you can't see it, right? It's kind of an esoteric concept. Like, like it's out there, and it's hard to say, I'm going to grab this rope and, and hold on for dear life. You know, when, when the stuff that I experience and see is here, and it's easy. Uh, the miracle itself, like Jesus does heal the paralytic, and we're going to talk about that for a second. Um, you know, and I, I sort of touched on it in my introduction here. Uh, but the last little bit of background I want to talk about is messianic expectation. Everybody in the Jewish faith at the time expected the Messiah. They knew a Messiah was coming. They knew God was sending a redeemer, a chosen one. And like this week and next week, we're going to talk about messianic expectation. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about forgiveness and salvation and all the stuff that's in the very last part of this 12 verses. Okay. Okay. But in the middle here, we're going to talk about, like, the promise God made. Because starting in Genesis, God makes this huge, grand, enormous, beautiful, exciting promise about the salvation of the world, about fixing everything that's broken. And it's, it's really cool. And from there, like, he makes the same promise to Abraham when he promises Abraham, like, descendants, as many as the sands on the beach. And he says, the whole world will be blessed through your descendant in the singular. We're going to talk about that today, but it's cool. We'll talk about it maybe in a video this week. We'll see. Um, And, like, he makes these promises over and over again, and everybody is looking forward to the coming of this promised one to save Israel. And now it's there, and we're going to talk about the the faith in that promise. And so just a little review. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, 
uh, which people, uh, the people heard that he had come home. By the way, Abby and I, who is not here, we did a video on this. It is on the church's Facebook page. Watch it. Let me know what you think. We're going to do more of them. It'll be exciting. Abby is very cute and entertaining, and she offsets my boredom. Boring. Uh, They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. Above Jesus, by digging through it and lowered the mat, the man was lying on. And here's the important part, okay? When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. One more time, I cannot emphasize enough like how monumental this one line is. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that will be next week. So that's my preview. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, as far as this week's concern, so Jesus sees their faith. He sees that they have faith. And then he moves on. He says, well, your sins are forgiven. Now, first off, the faith they had was he's going to heal him, right? They did not show up looking for forgiveness. And in fact, no Jew in their right mind would expect forgiveness. No faith healer at the time like unless very rarely, announce the forgiveness of sin. The only person that could announce the forgiveness of sin in human form um, was the high priest, and even then, only on the Day of Atonement. And so they received this gift through their faith, this forgiveness of sin, and like we're going to jump into like this faith idea. So like, wait a minute, what's the faith? They heard this guy might heal, and they brought him, right? Oh, they couldn't get in, so they climbed on the roof and cut a hole? Like, that's faith? Well... Part of the deal is we don't understand faith very well. Um, through an accident of history, through bad teaching, through uh, kind of kind of a screwy version of American culture, I think. I, I'm not sure exactly what's made it happen this way, but we've begun to think about faith as an attitude, right? I have full confidence that, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Okay, right? Like I have full faith. That if I wanted to, I could do anything. I used to talk to kids uh, when I was training. I was training for a half marathon, and we would talk about running. And these kids who like smoked a pack of cigarettes a day, and you know, are 30 pounds overweight or 50 pounds overweight. And I'd say, All right, if we went out and raced, who do you think would win? They'd say, Well, you. You run, right? And then I'd say, Well, wait a minute. What if you tried your hardest and really believed in yourself? And they would say, Well, then I'd win. Nope. Right. Like, but we somehow have convinced ourselves, like, if I just try hard enough and I believe in myself enough and I do this and that, like, faith is not a feeling. It is not an attitude. It is not like this internal, warm, squishy thing. Instead, what we find throughout the book of Mark, and this is a good example of this, is that faith, over and over again, the faith that impresses Jesus, isn't just like an internal thing. It's something Jesus sees, Right? And how does he see their faith? Well, they cut a hole in the roof and dumped their friend down with... Well, they didn't just dump him. They lowered him. Um, Sorry. Let me slow down a little bit so I don't just say stuff. Um, 
elsewhere, we find a reflection of Mark's version of faith, what Mark's calling faith over and over again. And this is a big deal. By the way, if there is a big deal that I'm going to talk about in this series, this is the one. And here's why. Because your faith will save you, right? Your works will not. Your faith will save you. Your eternity is determined by your faith in Christ, right? Like, that is it. You, you have faith. That is what saves you. And what brings this man forgiveness is faith, right? And so, like, this is an important thing to understand. It's an important thing to grasp. It's an important thing to wrestle with, to work out with, like, fear and trembling. And so, elsewhere, we find it depicted in very similar ways. And we're going to do this in Hebrews this week. Hebrews is a fun and difficult book, and you're going to see a lot of it this week and next week. Um, real quick, chapter 11, right? Um, chapter 11 talks about faith at length, and it gives us a great definition. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, so confidence and hope are both really internal, right? I hope I win the lottery. You know what I'm not doing? I'm not buying lottery tickets. You know why? Because as much as I hope, I don't genuinely believe I'm gonna. Right? Like, hope here is bigger. It is more substantial. It is a hope like, honestly, like Francis had. Right? It's a hope like the people of faith, you know, who I saw this last few weeks would talk about, like, hey, I will see this person again. I will see them again. This is not the end. There is an eternity. It is it isn't just a mindless I I feel good, I hope things work out. It is a bigger thing. And we'll get into that. But the faith that the ancients were were commended for is confidence and hope. Um so an assurance, actually assurance about what we do not see. I'm sorry, I skipped right over that. Um Hebrews eight through twelve. We're gonna go through this chunk of text. We're gonna go through it quick. I'm gonna comment as we go. By faith, Abraham. Everybody knows who Abraham is, right? Abraham was the first Jewish fellow. I saw one no from somebody who I know knows. Um, Abraham is like basically the first Jewish fellow. God goes to Abraham and says, you know what, Abraham? Abraham, by the way, means man with no children. To be a man with no children was to be a man who his stuff would be inherited by someone else. His wife would end up a servant in another man's home. It is a shameful thing in the ancient, ancient world. Like you would really not... Like, like, people would look at you and think God didn't like you if you didn't have children. So Abraham doesn't have any kids, and God promises him, I will make you the father of a great nation. So, and, and basically, he's the first Jewish fella, right? When God called to go, or excuse me, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed, and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who with excuse me, who were heirs with him of the same promise. So now pause it real quick. God made a promise to him, and he went to the place where his promise would be fulfilled, and did he get what he wanted while he was alive? No. Actually, this promised land, he lived there as a stranger. He had no permanent resident. He, he sort of drifted and lived in tents and everything else. He divided up part of it and gave it to his, his nephew. And all, I mean, like, there's all this stuff that happens. But Abraham never becomes, 
Like during his lifetime, he, he never becomes a father of a great nation. He never even gets the promised land. And then his kids live there, and they don't get it either. But the deal is with God's promise, God's promise is applied to Abraham and then given to his children and given to their children and given to their children and on through. And this faith in that promise is what Abraham had. Abraham trusted God's promise. He said, God's promise is true, and I'm going to go over there because he promised it. Everybody with me? Um, now, um, we go to, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she was considered, because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man and he as good as dead came the came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sands on the seashore. Now, real quick, Abraham and Sarah both trusted and like they were in their 90s and they had a baby, right? I am just going to say, oh my goodness, right? On so many levels, that is crazy. But they had a child in their very advanced years. They waited decades for God to fulfill his promise. And so God says, I'm going to give this to you. And they get older and older and older. Do they doubt? Sometimes, yeah. Did they turn left instead of right? Because they're like, well, yeah, they did sometimes. But over and over again, it is they trusted God. And God, like even when they died, they had not gotten the whole thing. But they trusted that God would follow through. All these people were still living by faith when they died. So we jump forward a little bit, um, and like he's talked about Moses, and he's talked about Noah, he's talked about all these things, and he says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had only, or excuse me, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, real quick. So, the, the faith of these men, the faith that we see presented in Mark, and then here, uh, the one that, like, prompted Jesus to forgive sins, isn't just, oh, I believe it's true. It's, I believe it's true, and I'm going to leave everything I have and go over there, because God told me to. In this case, it is, I am broken, my friend is broken, whatever, and we are going to bring him to Jesus, because we trust, because we trust that Jesus, like, that through God, that God through this Jesus person, can heal him. That God can give him what he is after. This is a living faith. Why does that matter? Because faith is not a thing I have. It is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It is a moving force in my life. It is a truth that I live by. It is a thing that comes out in everything that I am. Um, James, uh, and this is where some of the reformers fought, right? Martin Luther called the book of James. Does anybody know? He called it the epistle of straw and to some degree argued that it should be removed from the Bible altogether because Martin Luther was sort of leading the church back to understanding that faith, not works, saves us. And he looked at James and he said, well, wait a minute. James talks about works an awful lot and that will confuse people. And so 
that's a problem. But he also, I think he wrote a commentary on James. Like, he wasn't anti-James. It's sometimes oversold. But, like, here's the idea. Like, James presents this thing that we see in Mark, and he presents this thing that we're going to see here, um, and that Hebrews presents all of this. Like, all of this stuff is right here, and James does a good job of explaining it. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about the physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not that is not accompanied by action is dead. Now, there are people who will look at that and say, oh, if I believe, therefore, I should do good things. And it's not just the good things. Because like, people will say, oh, well, wait a minute, that means that the good things save me? Or don't they? And in reality, what's going on there is faith is a little like planting wheat, right? You plant this stuff in the ground, I assume, right? I'm not a farmer, and I am not a good gardener. I've never succeeded. I managed to kill a house plant I was told was unkillable, uh, which I'm, (laughs) after taking a master gardener class, I still failed to keep my plants alive, so I don't know. But you put these seeds in the ground, and they come up as wheat. Right? There's a degree of trust that takes place. I'm going to bury this thing. I'm going to take this thing like a, you know, it is dead. I'm going to bury it, and I'm going to get new life out of it. And I am not just planting it because I want green stuff to come out of the ground. I want grain, right? Lots and lots of bushels of grain. And I'm doing this with a degree of hope that I'm going to get way more grain out of it than it costs me to put it in the ground and then pull it out of the ground again, right? Like there's a whole degree of faith happening there where you're putting it in the ground and it's coming out and it's giving you fruit. This is fruit of faith. Faith in action will naturally produce fruit. Um, Does the fruit save you? Absolutely not. But faith will always move. Got it? Um, There's a great Monty Python skit where this man brings his parrot back to a pet shop And the parrot is dead. And there's about 800 ways to describe the kind of dead he is. He is super dead. He lays down. He doesn't breathe. He doesn't move. He is off the twig. He's over, you know, all of these things. And in the end, the point is like, hey, my bird is not alive. It's not doing anything. In order for it to be alive, it has to do certain things. Faith is like that. And in our minds, faith, sometimes, again, we want to reduce it to a squishy thing. Instead, it is like having a brand new operating system. Everybody with me? A great computer downstairs. Every once in a while, it updates. Sometimes the update is convenient. Sometimes it happens while I'm trying to get something done, right? But when it is done, the computer runs better. If you take that operating system out, my computer is dead. Faith is the system by which we operate. It is the director of our life. It is the decider of our priorities. It is the shaper of our thoughts and our words and our actions. Um, Some will say, you have faith. Uh, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, again, in the modern world, we often, like, shrink faith down to belief. I believe in Jesus. Absolutely. Even Satan does that, though, right? That's what James is saying. Good for you. You believe Jesus was raised from the dead. Satan saw it happen, and he shuddered when it did. But 
in order for that faith to be something, it has to be something that settles into your life and changes how you live. If it does not make you into a new creation, shift you in the direction of a new person, you're still running the operating system from before. You're still running Windows instead of iOS or OSX. Sorry, OSX. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? We're going to come back to Abraham. That's why I picked this. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? We're going to talk more about this later, by the way, next week. Um, You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We'll read that again. It's going to come up two or three more times today. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, watch this. Righteousness is a funny word. It's a legal word. We don't really understand it. To be righteous is to be innocent and in right relationship before God and with God. Now, he is not righteous on his own. It is credited to him. Right? Did he earn it? Absolutely not. You cannot earn righteousness. You can't. If you try... Um, basically you condemn yourself because you say, I'm going to live by my own acts. Your acts are like filthy rags next to God's robes of righteousness. There is nothing good that we do on our own apart from his intervention. And so when God sees his action, his faith in motion, he is credited with being innocent before God. It is gifted to him, meaning he believed and God declared him innocent What did he declare declare him innocent based on? We're going to find out in a minute. It's because he believed God's promises. Right? Everybody with me? Anybody lost yet? This is faith. Uh, Faith, trust me, I'm going. I know where I'm going. This is not me just talking. Uh, Faith requires a promise. Right? I can't have faith in nothing. Right? We talked about this with love. Love requires an object. I can't just have love. Right? Like, that's ridiculous. I, I guess unless you're a 13-year-old girl. And probably you can say, I have love. And in real reality, you have, like, hormones or something. I don't know. Um, but faith requires a promise. You have to believe in something that is not seen. You have to believe in something bigger in order for you, you to have belief at all. You have to trust in this thing. There has to be something to trust in in order for it to come to something. In this case, right, God promises to us throughout the Old Testament, through the covenants and the prophets and his preachers and his speakers and himself speaking throughout the scriptures. God makes all of these crazy promises like that he all uh, in Genesis, uh, he promises Eve, your descendant will crush his head and he will strike his heel. He's talking about Jesus. He's promising that someone is going to come who will be a descendant of Eve who will step on the serpent's head, even though he'll be struck in the process. That's Christ. Christ crushes evil. He crushes death. He crushes like Satan. And in exchange, he is bitten and he dies and he's resurrected, like demonstrating our new life. Um, To Abraham, Abraham gets this promise. You will have many descendants, as many as the grain sand on the beach. 
And he says, through your descendant, in the singular, through your descendant, the whole world will be blessed. That one descendant is the Messiah. It is Jesus. And so when Abraham believes the promise, he believes in Jesus. Even though he never sees Jesus. He knows God promised, and he says, God's promise is good. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Messiah. And so, like, what he really believes in is the cross. What he really believes in is Jesus' death for our salvation. And so when Abraham is righteous, he's righteous because Christ carried his sins on the cross. And he believed it, not even knowing what it would be. Just believing that God promised, through your descendant, the whole world would be blessed. Everybody following me? That's a big jump. But like faith is believing in, you know, it's believing and acting on these huge things. And salvation and forgiveness is belief in Christ. No one is innocent before God apart from Christ. There is no way to be innocent before God apart from Jesus dying for us. Uh, We're going to jump to Romans 4. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our forefather, according to our flesh, discovered in this matter. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, Their faith is credited as righteousness. What the heck is Paul saying? Paul's saying that belief in Christ is a gift. Like we have faith in this thing. We trust Christ. We trust this truth. We live according to this truth. And we are gifted the reality of the promise. Right? Like believing and living according to is what draws the gift on us. It is faith. You don't earn it. Right? Like uh, salvation becomes for sanctification. I mean, there's a whole deep hole here because we want to slice this up into tighter and tighter things so we can put our butterflies on the wall of the, the church and look at it and say, that's faith. In reality, faith is knowing that I am saved in Christ. But if that is a thing that I know and that I have brought to the heart of who I am and it begins to recreate me, it's going to, it's going to result in me living different. I'm going to chase after that for all I'm worth. And you see people doing this. I would argue that Francis, most of you all have known Francis, knew Francis for decades. Right? I knew Francis for about 10 years. And I saw her live this way. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of you guys saw her live this way. And I'm willing to bet that you're surrounded by people who you've seen bear fruit and grow and believe in the promise and live as though it's true. And then it turns into something amazing. And really, the most amazing part of it we won't see until later. In the city that we will, you know, we won't see in this lifetime, we'll see it after. Against all hope, we're jumping ahead to 18. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not 
or were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. Read that again. For us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. Now, here's the jump. The paralytic, this guy who had his sin forgiven, what was the faith that saved him? He believed in the Messiah. Right? God's going to send a Messiah who's going to heal people. God is going to send his chosen one who's going to save the nation. I believe this guy can do it. I'll go through anything to get through to get to this man. And he did go through anything to get to him. And when Jesus saw the faith, he said, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. Because he had faith in the promise. And it was credited to him as righteousness. In the same way as Abraham was credited with being innocent and whole and at peace before God. You and I are in the same boat. We are in the same boat if we look and we say, I know Christ died for my sins. I know he was raised on the third day and that I have promise of eternal life through him. I know that these things are true. And then we take the step of living as though they're actually true. Right? Because a faith in something that would save me, that would take... How many of y'all have things that you lay in bed at night and think about and just are overwhelmed by the shame of who you are and what you've been and what you've done? How many of y'all have people, like things in your life that you wrestle with and you're like, I will never overcome this brokenness in me. I, I, no one will ever love me. No one will ever accept me. God must hate me for who I am because I sure don't like me. I'm telling you, if we believe in Christ, if we believe in the death, if we believe in the resurrection, if we come to him, if we are willing to go through anything to be with him because we know it's the truth and we know it will take all that garbage that sits in our head when we're laying in bed all, all by ourselves in the middle of the night, right? He'll take all that on his back and we'll be forgiven because he will be punished in our place. If we know that truth, then I can tell you, He's looking at you and saying, son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. How amazing is that? Nothing I was, nothing I did, nothing that was done to me, nothing that I was told was true about me, nothing that is in my family, nothing that people who didn't love me or used me or mistreated me or or anything else, no way that I have been broken and wicked escapes that forgiveness. And I want that so bad. Verse 6, the other guys who were sitting there responded. Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, what does this fellow, or why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, here's what's happening is, these are men who are spiritually paralyzed. They cannot see Christ. And they're in the crowd, right? The crowd never responds. The crowd never acts. And so they can see They can believe, but they lack faith because their faith is nothing. It's the dead parrot in Monty Python shop, right? It doesn't change them in any way. It is faith that lays there on the bottom of the cage smelling funny. And then he has this whole argument, and ultimately he heals the man. And he heals him because it's part of being the Messiah. We're not going to go into that because we don't have time. And so, like... 
This man trusted in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And as we dive into the scriptures, we're going to have to deal with the fact that, like, the scriptures are both a promise and a mirror, right? As we talk about the scriptures, this is either something that is true about us. This faith thing either applies to our lives. Well, it does apply to our lives. It is a mirror, but it also shows us what we're to become and what God has done for us. It is, I, I, I like funhouse mirrors. And I always like the funhouse mirror that makes my chest look big and my waist look narrow. You know the one? Um, because I can look in one mirror and see this is my sin. This is my brokenness. This is where I am out of shape. This is where I'm, I'm overweight. This is where I'm wrinkling. This is where I'm that and this. But then this other mirror, I can look at it and say this is what's true in Christ. This is who I can become. This is what I am becoming. Man, that piano is ill-placed. Uh, Yeah, God's like, hurry up, Eric. (laughs) Move along. And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you in this because if the scriptures are a mirror, if Abraham's life and the paralytic and everything else tells us anything, right? Like if it informs us, if it is a mirror and a truth and it is a promise we believe in, then like we have to see, we have to hear, and we have to act. Does your action save you? Absolutely not. Can you be saved if your faith does not get up and walk on its own? No, you got a dead parrot. So there are several different groups of people. I, this isn't exhaustive, but I, this is my touch on. Many of us gaze in the mirror more often than we gaze at the Lord. Right? It is easy to look inward It is easy to look at my thoughts and my feelings and my this and my that. And it is really hard to turn to Jesus and say, what do you want from me? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? We look at ourselves and say, of course God loves me. Right? You know, it's really ironic and funny, actually, and this is where this plays in. Back then, the people heard your sins are forgiven And they thought that was really hard to believe, right? And then Jesus actually healed the paralytic, and that was easier to believe than your sins are forgiven. Today, we all believe our sins are forgiven. Holy heck, of course they are. In fact, most of the stuff I do is just fun and not sin. Surely God wouldn't bother me with fun, but I don't really believe God could heal the sick. Isn't that true? Our faith has gone wonky because we accept that we're wonderful by gazing in the mirror. And the mirror we're looking at is us, not the scriptures. And so like many of us, our faith has become faith in a thing that is not the promise. The promise is that in Christ, old Eric dies and new Eric is born. And I am in the process of becoming new Eric. But I can't sit where I'm at I've got to start heading for this new country. In my case, it was Montana, which is pretty close to the promised land, I believe. And if God says somewhere else, I'll go there. I hope he doesn't. I love it here, right? But it also means the part of Eric that looks at, you know, toys and says, well, I would love to have that. My, my goodness, I'd be happy if I had a new car. My goodness, I'd be happy if... You know, I was a megachurch pastor. My goodness, I'd be happy if I had a lot of money. My goodness, I'd be happy if, like that part of me, that's old country. 
I'm heading to the new country, which means I have to kill that part of me. The part of me that is filled with lust. The part of me that is filled with self-loathing sometimes. And I ignore the promises of God and I just pour shame on myself and enjoy it. Because some people enjoy it, right? Like, or I judge others and say, oh my gosh, I'm so much better than that guy. I've got to put that to death. And I've got to come back to the promise and the truth by looking in the mirror and saying, this is what God is saying is true about me. Many of us have faith, but our faith ends up little, right? And it becomes a little more than a sleeping mask. Do you all ever use one of those? You see them on airplanes, that little weird mask you put over your eyes, and it really just serves to blind you? You know, <laughs> uh, I, I knew a guy years ago who had some significant vices and criminal behaviors. But he would say over and over again, but Jesus died and I'm forgiven. And his faith was this mask, so he couldn't see the truth of the situation he was in. Because he didn't care about Jesus in any way except for... Fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. Now I'm going to rob you. Right? I mean, then, anyway. Uh, and so sometimes faith is a little more than that. It's a little more than like this fig leaf we cover ourselves with, except it's our eyes we're covering. Everybody else can see. Um, faith both directs and bolsters our actions. And so when we look at our lives, faith is something where I've looked and said, I believe this is true and I'm going to live according to it. I believe it is true that God has called me to be like Jesus. I believe that it is true that God has called me to save the lost. I believe that it is true that God has called me to build up the body and to love other believers and to crucify old Eric and become more and more like Christ and to love Christ more and more every day. I believe these things are true, and that becomes the director. It is the new operating system that we live by. And again, you see examples of this. And actually, this is one of the big ideas in uh, Hebrews. Look around you. There are people who lived like this. Do the same thing. And then finally, the fruit of our salvation is those acts. You see somebody who isn't clothed and they're freezing and you say, hey, let me help take care of you. That is fruit. That is visible proof. It is not saving faith. It is the byproduct of it. You plant your seeds. What you get is let me clothe this guy who needs clothes. It's let me be holy in my interactions. Let me be loving in my interactions with other believers. Let me encourage and support those around me so that they can grow closer to Christ and become more and more like Christ. Let me glorify God because everything I do reflects on Him. And so in my word and my deed and my work and my behavior and my internet stuff and everything else, I will trust Him. This is trusting in Christ more than we trust in elections. Or pistols. Or our own learning and arrogance or whatever. The fruit of our salvation comes out in more and more dependent in Christ every day. And so as I finish up, I encourage you to look at the paralyzed man. I encourage you to look at Abraham. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says... Is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He puts on his sleeping mask. He pretends that what he saw isn't real. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Does that mean that every time I sin, I'm... No, we're saved. 
Like if I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ. But I strive to achieve the mirror. I strive to do what Abraham did, what the paralytic did, and honestly what Francis did, right? She got to the end of her race and trusted. And she was at peace because she knew where she was going. She knew eternity. She knew the home she was heading toward. And I challenge you, do you know where you're going? Is your faith driving you down the road? Is it sometimes like that weird Tesla? Not being a crappy car, but like a car that if you want, you could hit the button and back up and it knows where you're going and it'll take you there. Right? Let's close in prayer and my challenge to you is think about this. Who are you? Look in the mirror. Ask yourself, what is my faith doing? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us peace this week. pray that you would give us wisdom. But most of all, I pray that the peace and the wisdom we have is wisdom and peace that rises out of faith in Christ. I pray that we would be people of faith, not just in, in the fact that we show up every week, not just in the fact that we you know, say the right words, or in our hearts we have a warm, squishy feeling or a, a burning or anything like that, Lord, but, but faith that helps us to know that Christ is what's worth having. Like, like a treasure found in a field and that it's worth selling everything to go and get him in our lives. Help us to be people who desire Christ more than anything and are willing to climb under roofs and cut holes in other people's ceilings to get closer to the promise you gave Abraham and this paralyzed man and the promise you give us through Christ, his death and his resurrection. Help us to believe in that promise that Francis believed in and help us to help us to travel in the direction that we'll spend eternity in his city with her and with them and with you. Amen.